Welcome back to the Silver Screen and Roll podcast. I am Sabrina Merchant, your host, and this is I Love Basketball. I am joined once again today by Harrison Fagan. Harrison, what's up? Uh, you know, uh, other than panicking about our like, you know, our global situation right now uh, and whether or not there's going to be a pandemic, I'm doing great. The Lakers got a big win tonight. So, <laughs> yeah, the Lakers the winning. You wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Cures all evils when the Lakers win. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um that was a weird game. I felt like I mean the Lakers won what was it 116 to 86 and like like that was one of the it felt like it was going to be like the last Warriors win during the first half where they were just going to kind of screw around the whole game and then pull it out eventually mm-hmm. and then like they just went off in the third quarter. Yeah, and I I can't remember if it was you who made the point on Twitter or somebody else, but like it was very much a third quarter Warriors kind of situation. Yeah, the way the Warriors used to just turn it on after halftime when they had you know their big four, big three, or however you want to characterize it. Uh, I think they had the best third quarter scoring margin in the league for like three years running, and that's exactly what the Lakers did. Except instead of with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant, it was with Rajon Rondo, Javale McGee, and what. Uh, Anthony Davis and Kyle Anthony Kuzma, Davis leading the way. <laughs> KCP chipped in, like you know, yeah. I mean, like it was not, it wasn't the way that you'd expect them to win without LeBron, right? Because like mm-hmm. he's so integral to their offense. Like I would have thought going into the game, like yeah, they're gonna they're gonna win, but it's gonna be like a grinded out kind of defensive game where mm-hmm. you know they're just gonna have like almost by accident have enough scores to just beat like what is basically the Santa Cruz Warriors right now. Exactly. Um, especially after Draymond got himself ejected, which like. Can I just say, like, that's that's veteran savvy right there. Like, last game, he was a last-minute scratch against the, the Lakers. Like, the, tonight, he just gets ejected in the second quarter just seemingly because he wanted to go home. Like, you know, I can respect a man who takes advantage of his, uh, like, paid leave policy. Like, he, he, was ready to, he was ready to take off for the day. He had some flexible, you know, like, uh, paid hours left and just decided to go home. And, you know, if it was up to me, I would not, based on the first half, I wouldn't have wanted to watch the rest of that game either. So, <laughs> yeah, Draymond wanted no part of that rest of the game. And uh, it really didn't help the Warriors that Andrew Wiggins wasn't playing either because he was he was pretty good the last time they played the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, that was, I believe it was his first game after the trade deadline, right? Like That's right. It was his first game after being traded. Yeah, and so, like, he played great. So, yeah, he would, I mean, so the Warriors were really undermanned. And so, mm-hmm. I, I think you and I are in agreement that we don't want to take too much away from this. But I do feel like there were a couple takeaways, like, both, like, smaller picture and larger picture from this win. Like, mm-hmm. I think the biggest two are just that it's like, you know, I don't, I'm starting to think that this is not an accident that we're seeing these games where LeBron sits and Rajon Rondo and Kyle Kuzman play really well. I feel like it's for different reasons, but I think that like, you know, I I don't know. Do you feel like that's like, I, I feel like it has to be related at this point, even though it is like only, you know, I think it's three games LeBron has sat out now and obviously they didn't acquit themselves that well in the first one, but mm-hmm. I just, 
feel like, especially with Rondo, like I, I know he's taken a lot of crap from Lakers fans this year. And so I don't want to start off by doing that on a night that he actually played pretty well. Like, you know, he did have 12 points. He had six assists, four rebounds, two steals. Like he was really integral, especially in that second half to start mm-hmm. the third, finding JaVale in the pick and roll. He was really good tonight. That being said, I feel like that's not complete. Like, I feel like he plays with LeBron a little bit too much, which mitigates kind of both of their strengths and is why you see Caruso have like this way better, you know, everybody's been talking about their net rate, their respective net ratings over the last couple of days. And I feel like the biggest part of that is Rondo just doesn't fit with LeBron. Like, I think that he can still be useful in non-LeBron context, but I think they just almost entirely have to stop playing together. And that won't fix everything of what kind of goes wrong with him in various lineups and whatever, but I think it will go a long way. Yeah, I mean, so I I know that we can't take away anything too big picture here, but I thought the starting lineup was really interesting just because I'm sure most of us would have expected Kyle Kuzma to find his way into the lineup without LeBron James because he's the third leading scorer on the team. And like, I don't know about you, but when I saw that starting five, I was like, uh, this could be unpleasant to watch. Yeah, I I definitely thought it was going to be hideous. I actually did expect Rondo to start. I wasn't really sure what they do with the rest of the starters, Mm -hmm. but just like that's kind of seems to be the way that Frank views things is like when LeBron's not in, Rondo should be in there and Mm -hmm. like they need him as a playmaker. And like on some level, he's not wrong, right? Like if they would have thrown the other lineup out, like let's take Rondo out and throw Kuzma in there, like they would have probably had a lot of ball handling problems to start that game. So I kind of get it. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, it, it would have been a chance. I mean, this kind of did separate Kuz and Rondo to a degree as well, which has been part of the problem for Kuzma, where he is playing a little bit too much with Rondo in those bench units. And on nights when Rondo's not locked in and looking for him, then it can lead to, you know, I think Kuzma at times getting scapegoated. You know, obviously he has to make himself available and like set himself up for success on his mm-hmm. own. But like, I think that, you know, separating him from Rondo a bit did help tonight. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, as much as I don't like the idea of a Rondo Bradley backcourt at at really any point, uh, it's it's kind of a path of least resistance, right? Because if LeBron's not playing, you do have to have a point guard on the floor to start the game. It just there's really no way around that. Uh, so I think putting Rondo in the starting lineup made a lot of sense. And generally speaking, I feel like you can tell if it's going to be a good Rondo game pretty early. And he kind of bucked that trend today because I thought he was not exactly inspiring in the first quarter. And then, you know, when the second half started, it was exactly the way you want Rondo to play, like by pushing the pace and being active in transition and like, you know, setting up JaVale McGee for those lobs. It's the best application of Rondo, right? Yeah, exactly. Like I was going to say, like when you said, usually you can tell if Rondo is going to have a good game or not based on the first couple minutes, I was like, wait a second. (laughs) Do you think he was going to have a good game based on like, like you and I viewed the first quarter very differently, but I guess not. Um, And yeah, like I I thought, I honestly thought that he was really bad in the first half for the most part. Like I think the most memorable gaffe was he, in a very Rondo way, tried to find a creative angle to do something. And like in the closing minutes of the half, tried to throw the ball off the backboard for a post up to JaVale McGee and JaVale (laughs) fell down in the paint because he got the chair pulled on him. And it was just like a pretty easy turnover for the Warriors. But then I I don't know if Frank said, so I'm going to be very curious to see what comes out from post game tonight. Mm -hmm. Although they aren't always the most candid about the strategic second half adjustments or whatever, but it really did seem like one of those things where Frank kind of got on him or someone got on him. Like, Hey, you have to push pace. Like you have to get into these sets. Like you have to run, pick and roll 
role with JaVale and try and find these guys and really step it up because they really did kick the pace into gear in the second half. And some of that was the defense getting going too. But I thought Rondo did a great job on finding JaVale on dives to the basket and things like that. Yeah, in general, I do think that the backboard pass is underutilized in basketball. <laughs> I think uh, there's probably more mileage we get on that, but yeah, that was, that yeah, was maybe not word. that specific combo, I guess is what I'm, is what I'm saying. Maybe like, not the Ronto JaVale combo. Yeah. Like yeah, I feel but, like, I feel like Dwight has the hands for that. I, I think hmm. like, I think JaVale, not so much really. He's just not always the most on balance. And I feel like that was putting him in a position to fail. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to suggest that, you know, we should have Rondo try that next time around. <laughs> no, yeah, let's uh, let's put it on the playbook. That, I think that's yeah. what you're arguing here. I, I mean, it's it's not not what I'm arguing. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think like what you said earlier, we kind of got away from it. The splitting up Rondo and Kuzma really lets Kuzma act as the primary engine on that second unit. And I don't know how sustainable that is for long stretches of time, but you know, in bursts, that's something that Kuzma seems to really enjoy doing, first of all. And when it looks good, it looks really good. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the problem, right? Is Kuz now, we have like a couple games between LeBron's absences and Anthony Davis's absences. Like we mm-hmm. have a couple games of sample size now where it seems pretty clear that Kuzma is a lot more comfortable when he is the quote unquote second star. Like he's not actually the star or anything like that, but like he does play closer to how I think the Lakers thought that he could play as one of their main scorers heading into the season when there's only one of those guys. And I think some of that is like, it's like a an actual increased opportunity and B like him viewing increased opportunity. And I think some of that is going to have to be a mindset thing for him of just committing to doing like little things. And we've seen this in like bits and pieces and for various stretches, but like committing to doing those little things that'll get him open and allow him to score alongside LeBron and AD in games where he's not kind of getting the second feature role um, Mm -hmm. as he does in these games where he is kind of getting that role that he does really seem to relish. Yeah. I mean, I I think you put it really well. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure he would have liked to have gotten the start, you know, just because it can't be fun to come off the bench against the Warriors when you literally are playing against a Santa Cruz level team, like yeah. going up against what Smiley Geach and like who else was in the front court tonight? I they passed. Honestly, like they left there's like a <laughs> there is a great who he play for like game to be played with the Warriors <laughs> roster right now. Like I just watched that game and I'm genuinely not confident I can name seven players on the other team. <laughs> I feel like they should do that on inside after the trade deadline because there's so much movement. Yeah, I mean, I like, like, like there was a point when the the Warriors after the trade deadline had only like seven active contracts because I think them they were and trying the Hawks so hard to get under the tax. I think them, the Hawks, and the Wolves basically had to have team meetings to like introduce everybody <laughs> again and like a little mini training camp. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I we did this during the preseason, right? When the Lakers played the Warriors like 35 times. And we're so dominant every time. And it gave us this, I don't know about you, it gave me sort of an inflated sense of security about how they were going to look this season. Yeah, we're um, like, oh, this front court, they're going big like when everybody else goes small. Like, zig where they're zagging. This is going to be great. They're just going to get offensive rebounds all over the place and it's going to be perfect. And then we realize, like, oh, like, the Warriors suck this year. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, on that note, let's take a quick break and then come back to talk about how the rest of the bench did. Okay, so... It seemed to me like in the first half, the second unit was far more impressive than the starting lineup. And 
I don't know about you, but it's actually like a lineup that makes a lot of sense to me with Caruso, KCP, Kuzma, Morris, and Dwight. Like it has just the right amount of shooting, ball handling, playmaking that you'd want. And then I guess against the Warriors, like defense is kind of optional. But even then, like Dwight and Caruso at the, you know, front and back end of the pick and roll makes, I don't know, it seemed like it kind of worked, didn't it? Yeah, and, like, I, I think you have also, like, you have the right amount of length there. Like, and mm-hmm. some, like, interesting level of length. Like, all of those guys are, with the exception of KCP, are, like, relatively big for their position. Um, right. And so you have some, like, and even he, like, he fights. Like, like against Kawhi, he's not going to be able to do it. But against right. a lot of guys, like, he can do it. Um, and Yeah, against ones and twos, I love KCP as a defender. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's just, he's just not a three defender. But he, he's, mm-hmm. like, he has long arms. Like, he works well. Like, he... he plays angles and stuff like that like that that's a pretty good switchy unit and I think the other thing and this goes back like going back to talking about Kuz's success I think it's in large it's it part of this lineup like you know they're mm-hmm. shooting around him but there's not like you have Caruso instead of Rondo so a guy that like he could capably bring the ball up the floor but then it's kind of going to give it off and let Kuz go to work versus like Rondo you know trying to organize a set or like get them into some kind of like pick and roll set play or whatever where there's mm-hmm. a little bit more like patience and waiting and moving around off ball for Kuz where he can kind of play a little bit more of that featured role with that lineup, which may have been key as much as anything, I think, to getting him going tonight. Yeah, I totally agree. And I know um, a lot of people thought that Markeith Morris didn't really address like the weaknesses that the Lakers had in their lineup. But I got to tell you, anytime that we don't have to bust out those three guard permutations with like some combination of Caruso, KCP and Bradley or, you know, Anytime KCP doesn't have to play the three or well, sometimes Daniels well, no in Caruso. The three. It's like, what are you do? like? They have the three guard lineup and it's like, you know, like tonight, I believe they played some minutes where it was like KCP, Rondo and Bradley. Yeah, I mean, those those configurations should never be happening. And the fact that Morris, you know, being in the picture allows Kuz to slide down to the wing. Although I, I feel like Christian Rivas brings this up all the time. And I, I don't know why Jared Dudley couldn't just be that piece. I think he's just old now. Like, I I think he just can't do it for 82 games. Like, I feel like he's a break glass. And he's he's almost like Richard Jefferson, like, for the Cavs a couple years ago, I feel like. Like, not the same player at all, but, like, we're just kind of keeping him around. I actually went back and looked that up, uh, like, earlier this year. Like, how much did Richard Jefferson actually play? And it was definitely more than Dudley did. Like, he actually did play Mm -hmm. decent minutes for that Cavs team. But I feel like it's a similar thing just in the sense of, like, he's an older guy and they're almost, like, load managing him and keeping him just in case they need him. Because I agree, like, I I think just for one game, like, I think Dudley gives you pretty much everything Morris does. Mm -hmm. They're slightly different players, but, like, they help you in similar ways. And, um, but I just don't think that he can do it for a whole season. Yeah. And if, I mean, if that's the case and, you know, and Morris gives quality minutes for the last, what, 26, 27 games of the season, then 25, right? 25. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, I think that's perfectly acceptable because if Kuzma's going to play significant minutes in the playoffs, it's going to be next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, because I just expect those guys to be playing 38 plus in the playoffs. Yeah, so I think that's reasonable. If Kuzma's going to get on the court in meaningful situations, and it's going to be at the three, essentially. So this is kind of good practice for him just to get acclimated to that role. Um, and I like his you know, ability to defend wings better. I like him attacking from that position on offense. So, I mean, it's it's such a strange thing to say, but like I've, I haven't liked a five-bench Lakers lineup this much in some time. 
Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think it is an interesting lineup for a lot of reasons you mentioned. Like, I want to see it against the team that is not the Warriors. Um, right. Like, you know, to get a lot, and I'm sure you do as well, like, uh, that I'm not saying that you were declaring it the best lineup ever after a win over the Warriors, <laughs> but, um, like, I want to see, it, it does have potential, I think. And, like, I just, in general, want to see more Kuz Morris lineups just to see, like, I think the Lakers need to get a sample size of that to figure out if it actually does help Kuzma in the way that they're hoping. Um, the, the other thing like lineup wise that this game, I think highlighted to me is like Frank Vogel actually had like, kind of, he slipped in kind of an interesting comment yesterday at practice where he was saying, he, he said that he basically felt like there were still a ton of lineup decisions to be made, a ton of adjustments the Lakers needed to make. And like that they still had a bunch left to figure out before the playoffs, which is interesting for the number one seed to play, but it's also kind of true. And like the Lakers played 13 guys tonight three of whom are not probably going to be in the regular rotation and Dudley cook and Daniels, but like the other ones are all kind of prospective rotation players. And that's without LeBron in the lineup they're already at 10. And then they're talking about potentially, you know, like Dion waiters, like J.R. Smith has been rumored, mm-hmm. like potentially other buyout guys. If someone gets bought out by Monday or whatever. Um, and I think that the Lakers do kind of, uh, that was the other thing in this game was like, they have a lot of guys that need to play and like, we're still getting somewhat limited minutes, even with LeBron out. And I just wonder, like, I think it's going to be tough for Frank Vogel to make some of these decisions as far as lineups go with just 25 games left and adding in potentially one or two new variables. Like, I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah. I'm kind of of the belief that unless something miraculous happens, like someone who's disenchanted with being in New York decides he wants a buyout. Shout out to um, Mo Harkless. (laughs) This is, this is the lineup I think we're going with. And I already think it's going to be a problem to try to get 11 guys minutes on a regular basis. Uh, I, I'd hate to see how introducing someone extra into that situation would complicate, you know, the minutes even further. I did think it was interesting that the first game where uh, the Lakers actually had to decide who to suit up, that Troy Daniels was the 13th guy in uniform instead of Quinn Cook. But, uh, I mean, this this is the team we're riding with, right? And Marquise Morris, I mean, he hasn't wowed me yet, but he's he plays. He doesn't make too many mistakes. Like, I... I feel like that's about as good as you can do for a buyout edition right now. Yeah. And he's like, like also he's acclimating. So like, there's a, lear- right. there's going to be a, cur- we got a grade on a curve there too. Like he's already doing pretty well. And like, realistically you'd expect he'll probably get a little better once he starts to get some better conditioning, better understanding of the playbook. I believe he said that like, pr- or uh, I think it was Frank said that they had like a bunch of the assistants just running him through stuff constantly that Frank's been sitting down and talking over defensive communication with him. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he's still very much, like being thrown in here and the fact that he's already like you know acclimating himself pretty well he was uh like he was actually a plus 23 tonight which is second on the team behind kcp with plus 24 shout out to kcp um did play really well tonight um and so yeah like i disagree about being so certain that they won't make another addition like i don't think that mm-hmm. it's an accident that they have a meeting with Dion waiters the day after the like buyout deadline the buyout for the deadline, playoffs, basically yeah. like i think there is interest here in getting something done now how much of that is like that's being leaked to get other guys that may be into a buyout like to get out of their situation to try and get here i don't know like how much of it is how much of it is fueled by whatever like genuine interest in Dion waiters who knows um, but like, I am, I'm less certain that they're just going to stick with this. I think like Troy Daniels plays so little that 
like, I don't think that it could hurt to bring in another guy. The only thing that you worry about is like, he's been pretty chill about not playing and right. all of that stuff. Like if you bring in Dion waiters and like, he's not just going to sit there and not play. And then you have probably a lot of guys that didn't come there to just not play. Like, I think that part of that's honestly got to be part of the reason that Rondo continues to get minutes because you can't, as well as he played tonight, like there are a lot of other nights and there've been a lot more of them where he's not good, but you also can't fully excise him from the rotation because we've seen how that goes for other teams when you do that to Rondo. And so I think like bringing in another guy that's going to take minutes, like that could potentially cause more problems than it solves if it's not a guy that's a perfect fit for what you want to do. Yeah, that's that's totally where I land. And I I just don't see Dion Waiters or J.R. Smith as that fit. So it seems like it's it's too big of a risk to take, especially when look, I, I love watching Dion and JR play. I I've never thought of them as the easiest locker room guys. I know that LeBron, his influence tends to mitigate some of those factors like it did in Cleveland when he personally took responsibility, like, let's bring JR in, I'll take care of it. But this is this is a different yeah, but on situation. that same note, yeah. on that same note, Cleveland was also where they fired Dion off into the sun. So, like, yeah. you know, I, I'm he is like the, the thing is, like, he is, yeah, he he is older now, and like, you know, he's a clutch client. He's a former Palinka client. Like, mm-hmm. that is a lot of ties to be getting linked, and like, who knows if that's just to gin up interest in him with other teams or whatever that may be. Um, as like a favor, like I, I don't know. Um, but there's a lot of things that it could be besides genuine interest in signing Dion. Uh, although it could be that, but yeah, I mean, it's just a tough calculation that they have to make. And it's the same one that they've been having to make since before the trade deadline. Like how much do we value this chemistry? And I think like, you know, not the Lakers are like, if the Lakers are playing a bunch of playoff games without LeBron, they're kind of screwed anyway. But I, I think that having guys that can jump in, play a bigger role, like they need that, like they were needed to tonight, and then seamlessly go back into bench roles. Like that shouldn't be undervalued. And actually, through the process of talking this through with you, I've now kind of come around and like maybe they shouldn't make a buyout addition. Uh, <laughs> when I was kind of of the mindset before um, that, really they should probably go for it. But yeah, I don't know. I go back and forth, and I'm sure that they're probably feeling the same way. Yeah, it's a delicate thing. It's not just like you know, this isn't 2K, right? Like you can't just. It's not a fantasy team, right? You can't just like throw in more talent and expect it to work out. Like they're a lot of variables to consider. Um, I mean, the Lakers are playing 10 and 11 right now. I imagine in the playoffs that's going to work its way down to eight or nine. Uh, so there's already decisions that are going to have to be made. Uh, I don't envy the people in those positions who have to make those decisions, but they get paid a lot more money than we do to make those decisions. So I suppose it comes with the territory. <laughs> yeah, that's fair to point out, um, I think. Like they are, uh, they, you know, believe it or not, dear listeners, Frank Vogel and Rob Polinka make a lot more than we do. <laughs> Just it's a different side of the tax bracket. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, <laughs> anyway, well, on that note, um, I think we've sufficiently covered the Lakers' latest win over the Golden State Warriors. It puts them at forty-five and twelve. Uh, got two games coming up this weekend against Memphis and New Orleans. A good opportunity for the Lakers to influence who will be getting the eight seed. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, do you have any uh, favorites? I mean, honestly, like if, it was, if it was me and I was, like, trying to help find the Lakers the best matchup to win, like, I'd pick the Grizzlies easily. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like New Orleans, the Lakers can beat them, obviously. I'm not, like, right. if I was Laker, if I was Rob Polinka, I would not be afraid of New Orleans by any means. Right. But the Lakers just rested LeBron tonight. If he wants to take another night off versus Memphis and then play against New Orleans again, you know, 
Like, I feel like that probably wouldn't be the worst decision for LA. Just, I feel like New Orleans is more threatening and might be more oh, absolutely. to knock out during a first round series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, Memphis is my favorite. And then uh, San Antonio would be ideal. But uh, do not want to see New Orleans or Portland on that side. San Antonio would be like really full circle because, okay, so the last time the Lakers got 45 wins tonight. I just want to squeeze this in real quick before mm-hmm. we get off. But like the Lakers got 45 wins tonight. The last time they had 45 wins was the 2012-13 season, um, which is they finished with 45 wins that mm-hmm. year. Um, and then like, so that's come in full circle, um, like to the Dwight year. And if they got to play the Spurs and actually like overcome that demon, like, I think just narratively, like that would be a lot of fun, but I would also like very much like to watch John Morant try to dunk on the Lakers 60 times over like four (laughs) games. Yeah. I, I think that would be good theater. Definitely more entertaining than playing the Spurs. Oh, 1000%. All right. On that note, uh, thank you all for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And have a nice weekend.